Welcome to the Life of Christ. This is session seven. We're going to go to the subsection, the visit of the wise men, because we began that the last time. And um, I'm going to begin reading in Matthew chapter two and verse one. I will read through to verse three because we covered all that information, and then we'll continue on from that point. Uh, into today's lesson. Beginning in Matthew chapter 2 and verse 1, it says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Verse 2, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and have come to worship him. Verse 3, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Now that's where we left off. Alright, and I said we were going to have a look and see why King Herod was all so troubled and frightened, even terrified. So let's go and have a look at this now. A little bit of a history lesson follows. I'm not going to rush through this, I will read through it slowly. In 175 BC, Antiochus, or whatever, yeah, becomes king of Palestine. And because the Jews wished him dead, he decides to massacre thousands of them, sell others off to slavery, defile the temple by sacrificing pigs on the altar, and destroy all the holy writings he can find. Real sweet out, isn't he? Of course, didn't, this didn't go down well with a certain Jewish priest called Matthias, nor his three sons, that's Judas, Jonathan, and Simon. They revolted against that guy, Antiochus, and finally retook the temple at Jerusalem in about 165 BC. But this happened after Matthias had died. Then they cleansed it and rededicated it to God. Along the way, Simon's grandson, Alexander Janus, or Jonathan, appointed a governor over the country of Edom by the name of Antipas, whose son Antipater and his son Herod the Great would play a significant role in the history of the Jews. There should be a third there. When Matthias's family's infighting becomes a problem to Rome, Rome decides to nominate Herod, later on he's going to be known as Herod the Great, to be king of Ju Judea but only on the basis that he carved out a kingdom for himself. And so with an army by his side, at age 37, he finally fulfills his mission. Okay, so he had to actually fight to get into the position he was in. Alright, so this is not a weak person. So we need to start seeing this because so much of the times, you know, in the movies and stuff, you see him as this, you know, big fat guy, and he's sitting there with a cup in his hand, and who is this king of the Jews? You know what I mean? Uh, it's not like that, okay? This is a guy that had to fight to get to where he was. Are you getting a picture now? Alright. And so, he does it so well, that he's carved out a kingdom for himself so well, that Rome decides to increase his territory to include all of Palestine, even the border regions of what is uh, now known as Jordan, Syria, and Lebanon. And so, as Hendrickson puts it, he had indeed become the king of the Jews. Okay, so this is, this is how he becomes the king of the Jews. There is another story here as well. Um, I don't know if I covered it or not, but for some reason he just had 
a liking for this place. All right? Maybe in his, in his wars and in his fighting to, to get to where he needed to get to, something happened. We don't know. Okay? Backstory that we don't have at this stage. Now, this now began the reign of King Herod. That's in 37 BC. Thought to be a Jewish convert, probably for political reasons. That still happened back then. Okay? <laughs> you know, right? Politicians are still doing it, man. <laughs> With the historian Josephus describing this king as capable, crafty, and cruel. Alright? Think about those, those qualities. Alright? Capable, crafty, and cruel. Alright. The reason he was described as capable was because of the way he both fought and overcame enemies at every turn. Alright? So this guy could, could, could hold his own. Are you all with me? Alright? Alright. This is important. And even when there was a famine in the land, he took care of those under him by supplying food and clothing from Egypt based on, of course, each one's ability to repay him. Alright, we'll look after you, but as long as you can pay me back, okay? So, again, crafty, remember? Alright, and added to all this, he also built a theater, luxurious palace, and of course, rebuilt the famous temple at Jerusalem, which is what ultimately gained him the favor he was looking for, and why the religious leaders gave their Messiah up to him so quickly. Are you getting this now? See, he's, he's a smart man. He knows how to buy people, you know, he knows what interests they have, he knows where he can gain an advantage with them, he knows all of these things, and he, again, he's not only capable, he's crafty. This is a very dangerous combination, and cruel, which is very bad. Alright, now as for being uh, described as crafty, firstly, he not only married into a family that the Jews accepted, but also when he found out that his brother-in-law, the high priest at the time, was more popular than him, he quickly disposed of him at a, at a public swimming party with the help of certain young men who playfully had held the high priest underwater as it, were, as it were all fun until he drowned. Are you getting a picture? Are you getting this? Alright. And just to prove it was all an accident, he went on to provide a magnificent funeral and of course cry in public for everyone to see. Finally, as for being cruel, besides the murder of his brother-in-law by drowning, he also goes on to murder his wife's grandfather and later on his wife as well, accusing her of adultery. And if that wasn't enough, he also has the two children he had by her murdered as well. The reason they thought was to stop them from taking revenge and ascending the throne. So this is a really sweetheart of a person that's there. Hmm? This was King Herod. Herod. And this is what he was capable of. If anyone ever threatened his position, listen, as king of the Jews. You're getting a picture? And now with these wise men announcing in verse 2 that there is one who has been born king of the Jews, Herod knew he had to act quickly. And so his first objective is, of course, to identify who this mysterious individual is. And he knew exactly where to go to get some answers. It now continues in Matthew chapter 2, verses 4 through 6. 
Now when he, that's Herod, had gathered all the chief priests. Notice how many chief priests? All of them. Alright? And scribes of the people together. Now, I'm going to be reading a lot of extra bits in, so stay with me. Alright? The Full Life Study Bible explains that chief priests were the temple ministers in charge of worship, comprised of Pharisees and Sadducees. Scribes were copyists of the scripture in the Old Testament times. They became the teachers of the law and consequently were called lawyers. Together the scribes and the chief priests constituted the Sanhedrin, the Jewish Senate and Supreme Court. This was composed of approximately 70 men who had charge of the civil and religious affairs of the Jews and were given considerable authority under the Romans. So this is who he calls. And it says he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And knowing fully well what kind of evil, murderous individual he was, without pause or hesitation, it goes on to say, So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, and they even quote a scripture. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Okay, so that took care of the where. Now he needs to know who is it. So we know where now, approximately. Alright? Now, let me just stop here for a minute. I think it is astounding that these guys... That's the reason I went through the history of this man is so that you know what they know now. These priests would have known about this guy. Give us a break. Alright? I mean, they're that close. People talk. Especially back then, they really talked. Okay, in fact, one of the ways that they passed their law was through talking. It was called the oral law. They would actually pass on. That's how they got their news. They would pass on stories and, and so on and so forth. You know, so that, obviously, they would have known what kind of individual this was. They would have known that as soon as he found out, if he was willing to kill his own kids, he wouldn't hesitate to get rid of this one. Are you all with me? And they have quoted scripture, which means they know this is their Messiah. And I mean, they didn't hold back one bit. They didn't say, this is not Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's like, you know what? You can do whatever you want. We're not telling you nothing. Throw us in the fire, do whatever. You're not getting anything out of us. I mean, those boys would have been rolling in their graves, watching these priests spill their beans. I mean, first chance they get, they just, yeah, this is where it's going to be. <laughs> you want a picture? Now, let me just stop for a minute, okay? Digressing further. <laughs> you can see why Jesus was so disappointed in them. Why his very first and very last act was cleansing the temple. That's, that just speaks volumes. You don't think he didn't know that these guys just gave him up first chance they got? This is God we're talking about. He knows what goes on in the hearts of people. He's come. These are meant to be the people that protect him, that look after him. He gave them the word. Amen. He did so much. And this is how they treat their Messiah. 
You know, if I were him, I'd just go, you know what, I'm just going back. This, this is not worth saving. I mean, if the, if the people that are meant to be on my side betray me so quickly, and this is, you're going to now see this thread run all the way through in his ministry. The number of times where he's going to say that people from everywhere is, are going to come into the kingdom. And these people who are meant to be the ones that are promoting the kingdom, meant to be the pinnacle of what the kingdom is going to be about and what God should have been like, are the ones that are going to be cast out of the kingdom and going to be looking up from hell and seeing Abraham and all of that, sitting with Gentiles while they roast in hell. That's what's coming up. But I want you to understand where all this starts. Are you all with me? Okay. Let's continue. And so Herod now goes on to have a more private meeting with certain dignitaries from a foreign land. You know who these guys are, right? Who seem to have more specific information than the priests, with verse 7 and 8 going on to say now. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, notice it's secretly. I underline that word for a reason. This wasn't a public meeting. This wasn't the, on the day and they play the drums and, you know, all hail King Herod and here are these wonderful dignitaries that are coming up in the middle of, you know, the, the, the walkway up to his throne. And, no, none of that's happening. Why would he have a secret meeting with them? Because if everybody knew about a meeting that Herod had with these three wise men and then suddenly a kid ends up dead, doesn't take a genius to figure out what happened. And let me say this, as much as Herod thinks he can get away with anything, Rome is still watching. See, Rome, for all their faults, okay, they still have laws and rules. You can't just go killing everybody. Much as you like to. I mean, that's how we got the place. But after that, there's, there's laws. That's <laughs> kind of interesting, isn't it? Right, well, we do that today. You know, with the military, if you think about it. You go to war, and I mean, the more people you kill, the happier they are. Do that in normal society, and you get put in prison. Hello. You know what I'm trying to say, right? Okay. You know, take your life, whether it's the enemy or whoever, is a difficult thing. Alright, and, and it does things to you. Anyway, so then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. Now remember now he's got a location. Alright, now he's, why do you think he's working out the time? Very good, the age. He's trying to figure out how old this kid is. Alright, because he didn't want to kill off kids that are the wrong age. Remember the decree from two years and down? It wasn't three, it was from two. Do you know why? Because he figured out, he's working out now. We got the where, now we need to know the who. So the literal text says the exact date. So again it says, let me reread this. So when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star had appeared, Literally the exact date. So again, this would give Herod an idea how old the child was. Verse 8. And he sent them to Bethlehem. See, he, sent, he tells them, go on. Meaning that Herod shared the information he had with them. So he's told them now, oh, I can tell you where he's going to be. Okay? So, and he's now going to say, go. 
and search carefully for the young child. Now, I want you to notice it didn't say babe now. Okay? This is no longer a baby. The wise men never came to the, the manger, thank you very much. Okay? The wise men never went to that manger. Okay? This is the, the guys took a while to get there. <laughs> Alright? And so, they are going to find a young child in a house. Alright? If you have little nativity scenes with the you know, three wise men and everything, don't throw it away. Keep it. Right? It's, it's okay, don't worry, it's cool. I'm not one of those people that say, Get rid of those wise men! They shouldn't be there, for God's sake. Who cares? We're celebrating you know, the birth of our Lord. Doesn't matter who you want to put in. They can stick Santa Claus in there, I don't care. Alright, as long as Jesus is there. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, Alright, so Kenny says, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me. Watch this crafty, evil, twisted little guy. He says that I may come and worship him also. With a knife? No. <laughs> okay. Alright, yeah. Oh yeah, of course. Now firstly, in his commentary, William Hendrickson writes, For the benefit of the wise men, he feigned a deep interest in their specialty, the stars. While his real interest, is talking about Herod, okay? While his real interest was in the child, that he might destroy him. Naturally, the more he would get to know about this potential competitor, as he saw him, the easier it would be to identify and kill him. He already knew his birthplace. Now, on the basis of the time of the star's appearance, he considered himself able to guess the child's approximate age. Okay, let's move. Secondly, notice also from verse 7, that Herod not only secretly contacted the wise men, but also had a secret meeting with them as well. The reason for all this secrecy, I'm sorry, I've already covered this, was so that nobody would know that it was he who was behind the murder of this child, once he knew his identity and took the appropriate action, of course. Alright, also, it is more than possible that once the wise men reported to him of the child's whereabouts, listen, this is the other reason why I think he had this meeting in secret, there would be no reason for him to keep them alive. Think about this now, especially since they would surely expose him as the murderer. Now remember, they came to worship this kid. They obviously have a very high regard of him and for him. And they, you know, they're heading back on their little camels or something and somebody comes and says, Did you know that he was murdered? They would immediately know who did it. These guys aren't poor either. I think they could hire a few people. To take care of this guy, you know? Oh, yeah. I'm just saying, can we just be real about all this? Because we miss all of this. There is a whole lot of stuff going on here. Okay, so remember, Herod is really crafty. He's evil and he's crafty. So how can he get rid of these guys? First of all, have a meeting with them quietly where nobody knows he had a meeting with them. Then tell them to find out and come back to him. Secretly, quietly, so he can take care of them, and nobody knows wise men visited uh, the king. Nobody knows that anything had happened. One day we see them knocking on doors. The next day they disappear. We don't know what happened to them. We think they went back, and he would just bury them off somewhere. 
I want you to, you know, can we think? Thank you. All right. Okay. So, this is supported by what Robert H. Mount says in his commentary. And that is, it is what we would expect from a tyrant who shortly before he died, this is what happened, by the way, when Herod died, he ordered that a large group of prominent citizens, including all the principal men of the entire Jewish nation, be imprisoned and put to death at the moment of his own decease, okay, when he died. In this way, listen to this, he guaranteed there would be sorrow and tears at the time of his death. Because nobody would cry for him. That somebody's crying is all that he wanted. What a horrible person. Huh? <laughs> of course, Hendrickson adds, and I love this. Once dead, however, Herod's ability to implement an, uh, and, uh, the pact also ceased, so that the massacre did not occur. <laughs> what are you going to do after you died? We're not going to listen to anything you said. You're dead! <laughs> you know? Amen! Isn't it incredible how these people think? Huh? They think even after they're dead, people will carry out stuff. No. That takes loyalty. This guy didn't have any. You get too close, you look too funny, you're dead. <laughs> That's it. Could have had something in your eye, doesn't matter. He'd just kill you. Just for laughs. Alright, so, I want you to know all of this. You need to know what sort of individual this guy is. Amen? Alright, let's return back to Matthew chapter 2. Are we learning something? Am I wasting your time? Are you alright with all this? Oh, good, good. Okay, I'm so concerned about putting some of this stuff in. Alright, returning to Matthew, Matthew chapter 2. I'm sorry. So having effectively lied to the wise men, it goes into saying verses 11, excuse me, 9 through 11. When they, had, uh, when they heard the king, they departed, and behold, again, remember he said, go, find out, come back, alright? So when they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them. Notice, it's no ordinary star. It's in motion again. It's very interesting what's going on here. Okay? Until it came and stood. Notice the thing moved and stopped. No stellar phenomena. I know physics. This doesn't happen. Okay? You don't have stars going and then coming to a complete stop. You know, they stop and move and stop and move. It's not normal. Amen? And you can't, you can't explain this off with any kind of planetary movement and motion. You just can't. Okay? Just saying. Alright, so, till it came and stood over, meaning that it came to a stop where the young child was. Again, I've, I've said it, a total impossibility. Not only for the star to move and then stop, but for it to stop over a specific location and all in one night. Verse 10. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. It is almost like the star had a life and mind of its own. And they had come to consider it far more than just a heavenly body, but something of a personal guide that stopped when they needed to rest and began moving again when they were ready to continue. And so, when they saw it once again, it made them, this is actually what the translation says, deliriously happy. Isn't that something? Anyway. For not only was their mysterious supernatural guide back, but they knew that their long journey was finally coming to an end. They were about to complete their mission. 
and finally meet the Messiah, the Savior of all mankind. And it overwhelmed them. This is a huge thing that they're doing. Verse 11. And when they had come into the house, you can just imagine their hearts are just bursting. Okay? Notice, not a stable, it's a house now. And when they had come into the house, alright, they saw the young child. Notice, it's not a babe. Remember before the shepherds, it said there was a young babe? No longer a babe. Okay? They saw the young child, his age is not revealed, with, his mother, with Mary his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. Now they couldn't do that if it was... This sounds like he was almost standing. Okay? That they saw a young child and they bowed down and worshipped him. They didn't worship his mother holding him. Boy, that would have had problems, wouldn't it, with us today? People, they, but they worship Mary. <laughs> no, no, she had him in his arms. No, but, <laughs> you know what I'm trying to say? Okay, thank God. Yeah, it's bad enough already. We didn't need that in our story. Okay, so I think it's very good the way this is put. <laughs> okay, and thank God, all right? So, <laughs> so notice again, they fell down and worshipped him. Hendrickson says, in this child, they somehow see God and worship him. That's huge. Okay? In this child, they somehow see God. That's who they're worshipping. They're not worshipping some little kid. They are seeing God in the flesh. This is huge to them. Alright. Also, great significance is that they knew not to worship Mary. We mustn't miss that. It didn't say they worshipped Him and then paid homage to Mary and Joseph. There's nothing mentioned about them doing anything with them. And when they had opened their treasures, notice who they give it to. They presented gifts to Him. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. There have been times in scenes that the wise men are sort of handing it to the parents. Never happened. They worshipped Him and placed it at His feet. Are you all with me? Because they know this is God in the flesh. This is Emmanuel. God with us. Alright. So again, Hendrickson writes, They are pictured here as not only wealthy, but also warm-hearted and worshipful. These men offer their treasures to Him to honor Him. Gold as to a king, myrrh as to one who was mortal, and incense that's frankincense, okay? As to God. Interesting, isn't it? That was the relevance of those three gifts. So notice here that the only thing mentioned are three gifts. Not three wise men, not three kings. They may have been royalty, but it doesn't say. Okay, so our little you know, hymn of we three kings of Orient. Okay? May not be all true, even though we like the song. Alright, <laughs> I hope I don't spoil things for you here. You can enjoy your Christmas carols. I love a good Christmas carol, and I'm not a person with a chip on my shoulder. Okay? I like to know the truth, and then I can enjoy everything. Without worshipping the wrong thing. Okay, so further than this, William Hendrickson writes, Here in Matthew chapter 2, we have an illustration of genuine givers. They did not hesitate to make a long 
an arduous journey to render homage to him by most people must have been regarded as merely a little child. Additionally, the coming of the wise men was indeed a lesson for Jews and for men of every nationality and race. A lesson to be taken to heart. If even the Magi, with their limited knowledge, did this for Christ, then why do we, so highly privileged, fall short? It is important to note that if the wise men had, in fact, come to Jesus when he was still a baby and offered these gifts, Mary and Joseph would have offered much more than a pair of turtle doves at Jesus' dedication in the temple. So we know it was after that. Verse 12. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, probably, now listen, because their lives would have been in danger, let alone the child's. Okay? They departed for their own country another way. Without even letting any of the religious authorities know. Isn't that interesting? They don't talk to anybody. God warns them. He says, go a different way. This is not happening. Don't you love this? Isn't this just brilliant? You know, I look at this and I think, wow. Look at all the insidious things that are going on. All of Satan's, you know, his subtlety and his deceptions and everything else. And there's God. No matter what he tries to do, God's there protecting all the innocent people. He's just doing everything he can to keep him out of harm's way. Amen? And we need to understand this. You know, when we do what is right, expect God to turn up. And it doesn't matter how crafty, you know, whoever is out to cause you problems. It doesn't matter how smart they are compared to you. It's always about how smart are they compared to God. Amen? Because sometimes we look at it that way. Sometimes we think, oh my gosh, how can we ever go forward when there are people with such intelligence, you know, getting in our way and doing things to harm us and, and undermining us and all sorts of things. Do you understand what I'm saying? You need to see this and you need to understand from this that when God's on your side, let Him work. You have the greatest mind and the smartest being in the entire universe looking after you. Doesn't matter how smart or dumb you are, he'll look after it. Amen? And I thank God for that. Alright. Hendrickson writes, It is often difficult for thoroughly honest men to understand hypocrites and for generous people to catch on to the schemes of self-seekers. So it is not surprising that the Magi had failed to see what Herod was actually up to. But, before God, nothing is hidden. So the Magi must be warned. And so must Joseph. That's in verse 13, the next verse. In, in each case, the warning arrives during a dream. So you know what? You don't have to be sneaky, and you don't have to sink to their level, and be like them. Amen? God will look after it. I think that is so liberating. To know that you can stay pure. And you can stay honest. And just God will talk to you. I don't know how many times God has said to me. Watch out for this. And be careful of that. And that person's motives aren't the best. And, and so I don't have to get a heart. And he told me. When I tell you things. Don't you get a hard heart. He doesn't want me to go. How could they? Well that's it. I'm never doing that. For no. <laughs> Wrong place to go. God will stop talking to you. All you need to say is that's sad. 
Because it says that their way is going to lead to destruction. Do you hear me? When you do the wrong thing, you're playing in the devil's hands. He doesn't have favorites. He doesn't care. He comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And he kills most of his people along with it. He's stupid that way. Do you hear me? Because it takes love to preserve life. But when you don't care, when you have hatred and anger and bitterness, which is what the devil is full of, you just kill anything and everything in your way. Even the guy that was working for you, you don't care. You'll find somebody else. Let me conclude with this. Although we are not told exactly what God said to the Magi to warn them of, King, of Herod's true intentions, nor how many of them he spoke to, we know that they were obviously very trusting of each other's spiritual guidance to the point of disobeying the king's command even if it was just a dream. Amen. All right, let's take a break and we'll continue on in the next session.